Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. Today, we'll go over the final segment of Paul Zimmerman and his all-time team. Almost every all-time team I've seen lumps together linebackers as if there is no difference between the linebacking positions. But Dr. Z and I agree that there are significant differences between the outside linebacker and middle linebacker positions. Differences in assignments, skills, and talent required. For instance, it would have been a mistake to line up Dick Buckus as an outside linebacker, just as it wouldn't make sense to have Lawrence Taylor play middle linebacker. Their natural skills and abilities would have gone to waste. At outside linebacker, Zimmerman chose Lawrence Taylor, Ted Hendricks, Jack Ham, and Dave Wilcox, with honorable mention going to Chuck Howley and Bobby Bell. I had Bell as number three, right behind Taylor and Ann. I was surprised Zimmerman didn't have him ranked higher. Said Zimmerman on Taylor, he wasn't a linebacker in the real sense of the word. He was more of a rush wingman, the best pass rushing linebacker the game has ever seen. And while he was solid against the run, his coverage responsibility was almost zero. While that last sentence may be interpreted as a criticism, that's not the way I looked at it. Taylor was fortunate to have had two good coaches, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, who recognized they had something special in Taylor. Taylor's specialty was rushing the quarterback, so why waste those natural talents by giving him a lot of pass coverage responsibility? So they let him loose to go after the quarterback, and nobody did it better. About Hendricks, Dr. Z said, Ted was a Rhodes Scholar finalist, highly intelligent. He was technically sound and was seldom out of position. He played all aspects of his position extremely well. On Ham, Zimmerman thought he was very effective against the power sweep and the best pass coverage linebacker the game has ever seen. And he thought Wilcox had an almost unnoticed skill of nullifying tight ends. Of Wilcox, former 49ers defensive coach Mike Gidding said, many strong side linebackers get hooked to the inside on running plays. Wilkie never got hooked. It was a point of honor with him. And he could rush the passer when needed. There was one game when we, the coaching staff, decided to turn him loose on the quarterback. 
He had three sacks and two forced fumbles. It was just that he was too valuable in his regular job. My picks as the top middle linebackers were Dick Buckus, Willie Lanier, Ray Nitschke, and Ray Lewis. Dr. Z was in complete agreement. He gave Lanier a slight edge over Nitschke on range, but said both were very effective against the run and in pass coverage. He had a lot to say about Buckus, but his commentary wasn't about Buckus being a hard hitter, which is what you often hear and read. And while some may say Buckus would be out of the game on passing plays if he were playing today, the fact is that he's not playing today. Nor did Ray Lewis play in the 1960s. They played when they played. Zimmerman summed up Buckus this way. Buckus didn't have great range for the downfield passes, but he was very good at covering the short stuff. He couldn't close on a shallow receiver as quickly as Ray Lewis, though. Ray was the best I've ever seen at that. But Dick didn't get tied up in traffic, and he had great instincts. You have to remember that middle linebackers weren't expected or needed to cover the downfield stuff when Buckus played. Football was more of a running game at that time. Teammate Ed Obranovich evaluated Buckus this way. Dick wasn't fast when it came to running the 40-yard dash, but when it came to lateral movement, no one was faster. Vince Lombardi called it competitive speed. Another misconception about Buckus, Zimmerman concluded, is that he beat offensive linemen senseless. Not true, said Hall of Fame guard Jerry Kramer. The last thing Dick wanted to do was to take you on. Instead, he wanted to get rid of you as quickly as possible so he could get to the ball carrier. As we move on to defensive backs, once again we agreed there's a big difference between the strong safety and the free safety positions. Paul had Ken Houston as his number one strong safety, as did I. I had Larry Wilson and Ronnie Lott as my top two free safeties, but Dr. Z disagreed. Willie Wood was better than both of them. He had Wilson as a close second, but he thought Lott was a bit overrated. He had his best years at cornerback, and he was better at strong safety than free safety, said Dr. Z. He also had Brian Dawkins and Cliff Harris high on his list. As for hardest hitting defensive backs, he picked Hardy Brown, who played from 1948 to 1960. Brown also played linebacker. He had Jack Tatum as number two and Cliff Harris as number three hard hitters. At cornerback, I picked Herb Adderley, Mel Blunt, Deion Sanders, and Willie Brown. Zimmerman only chose two. Sanders was his number two pick. His number one cornerback was Jimmy Johnson. Sanders had the best closing speed ever, said Zimmerman. He would bait you by letting you catch a couple of short passes. It was almost impossible to beat him man-to-man. -man. 
but he would get bored covering Zone and the short stuff. But there was no such weaknesses in Johnson, who got very little recognition for the first eight years of his career because the 49ers were a lousy team and hardly ever on television. Another reason is that he didn't have a lot of interceptions in his career. That's because quarterbacks were afraid to throw in his area. He played most of the 1971 season with a cast on his broken wrist, and they still wouldn't throw in his area. He turned attention again, this time to special teams. Dr. Z picked Deion Sanders as his punt returner, and Gale Sayers for kickoff returns. At kicker, he chose Adam Vinatieri, and while almost everyone picks Ray Guy as the number one punter, I chose Sammy Baugh, but Zimmerman disagreed on both Guy and Baugh as the top punters. Baugh's high average was built on quick kicks, and Ray Guy's career gross average is lower than anyone in the game today. Tommy Davis, who played for the 49ers from 1959 to 1969, was the best punter I ever saw, said Zimmerman. He was getting a 4.8 hang time while punting into a strong San Francisco win. You may have noticed that it seems Mr. Zimmerman was a bit partial to players who played for the 49ers. I never had a chance to ask him about that, but he did live in San Francisco for some time and saw many games at Kizar Stadium, so I'm guessing that made quite an impression on him. As for the best defense ever, at number one, Dr. Z picked the Steelers, 1972 to 1978. The others are, in no particular order, the Cowboys, 1966 to 1978, the Rams and Vikings, late 60s and 70s, respectively, Bears, 1984 to 1988, and the Ravens, early 2000s. What was the most overlooked defense? He thought they were the Lions, 1952 the 1967, the Packers of the 1960s, and the Bills from 1960 to 1966. As they often say about very notable people, they don't make them like that anymore. Well, that assessment probably applies to Paul Zimmerman. But what I know for sure is that I always enjoyed reading his material, and I'm delighted that our paths crossed unexpectedly and oh so wonderfully. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.